This is Piecing It All Together. Woohoo! I'm Randy Woodley. <laughs> I'm Bo Sanders. Welcome to Piecing It All Together. We are looking forward to this. This is going to be episode 28. We are recording. We uh, borrowed an office here, and we are recording, but uh, I have a window out into the library, and apparently everyone can hear our voice, so... Might have my woo-hoo. <laughs> so this is going to be episode 28, and today we're talking about uh, interfaith work and about colonial missions. Mm. It's been a while since we recorded, and you've uh, you've had some travels since we last got together. Yeah, I've been here and there. Um, was out to the coast for a while, my wife and I, and I've uh, uh, been asked to do a few things with the interfaith gatherings. It's kind of exciting. Uh, yeah, in, in in many ways. Yeah, I've uh, returned to my academic works. I've been having my head in the cave a little bit. I'm because since I was last in the program, I actually was able to go out to an archives in New Jersey, and I found and am able to document the actual process that I'm studying. I found the documentation from the 70s into the 80s about how uh, the group that I'm a part of changed uh, its racial diversity mm-hmm. through. Recruitment, legislation, financing, and education. Oh yeah. And so I'm, I, I was able to find that since I last wrote my dissertation. So now I'm able to include all of that in my new proposal. But it takes a lot of, and so I need to make sure I got all my eyes dotted and T's crossed, and that my interview subjects will be protected. Because you know, when you're talking about, as you know especially uh, institutional racism, there's a lot on the line. And so I want to make sure that these people who are going <laughs> to... Why, why would I know about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> a little, maybe too soon. <laughs> so you went out to the coast, um, and I, I want to talk with you about You and I actually haven't even talked about it, but I'm fascinated... Um, you got a chance to do uh, an opening prayer at an event in Portland. You can talk to us about that, mm-hmm. which then led to being able to connect with a group uh, of interfaith leaders out on the coast. And you were really excited by this, and it, you're uh, really encouraged. So I thought, yeah, it would be good for everyone to hear what about that excited you. Yeah. Um, you mean besides the free lodging and the food? <laughs> yes, besides that. Yeah, that was, that was wonderful. But, okay, so uh, Arun Gandhi... Um, Mahatma Gandhi's grandson mm. uh, came to town and was going to speak uh, about peace and such matters. And um, this was at the Vancouver Avenue Baptist Church, which is mm. the sort of the old civil rights landmark church. It's the only church in Portland that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke at. Whoa. And um, uh, Pastor Matt Hennessy over there invited me to come and be one of the people who would say a prayer. And I, I think it's um, protocol when, uh, when Arun Gandhi comes to speak uh, that he has people from different faith traditions, you know, come and, and give prayers in their traditions. And that's just to show the sort of the common humanity of us all, right? And so uh, I, among, I think there's probably eight other peoples, religions that are so represented. And the funny thing is, is that, I don't necessarily represent a religion, yeah. As I do represent just being native, <laughs> yeah. I know, but, yeah, we, you know, there are Native American religions, and then there are Native American religious movements like the Peyote Church, Native American Church, or Shaker mm-hmm. Church, or some of these kinds of. Um, but uh, and then there's Sundance people, and you know those kinds of things. But 
But we we're not we don't really have a religion, so to speak. We have a I guess you could call it at most a spirituality. But it, more than that, it's just a way of seeing life and living life. And so, uh, it I guess when they find someone who is native who tries to keep their native ways, they assume, well, that's that native religion, and so let's represent them. Uh-huh. So that's how I got asked to that. Um, and, um, you know, it was wonderful to be able to hear uh, Gandhi's grandson, who spent a lot of time with Gandhi. And he, he kind of got to talk about some of the things that he said. There's a lot of things that my grandfather talked about that people didn't pick up on. And I want to talk about some of those. You know? Really? Mm. And uh, so I got out my little, you know, phone and started taking notes and and uh, trying to hear some wisdom. It was pretty, pretty good. Um, and then, yeah, I guess maybe because of that, then uh, my wife and I, Edith and I, got invited to this uh, event out at the coast in Pacific City called The Common Table. Mm. And that was sponsored by a number of organizations, um, a number of people organizing that, um, and the Portland Leadership Foundation, um, the uh, Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon, um, I think think uh, Murdoch Trust had some money in that, pulling that together, mm. and some other folks. And basically what it did was it pulled together people from almost every, well, I think, you know, every sort of segment of interfaith uh, religious uh, spiritual movements in the state. So there was uh, uh, Edith and myself. Um, there were uh, there was a, a woman who represented the Sikh faith. Uh, some people yeah. call Sikh. Sikh yeah. uh, I think pronounced correctly as Sikh. Okay. Um, uh, from uh, Beaverton, I believe. Uh, the organ, the priest from the Oregon Buddhist Temple in Portland was there. Yeah. Um, a number of uh, bishops from the Lutheran and Episcopal, and uh, I think the Presbyterians had someone there. Um, well, I know they did. Uh, the evangelicals were represented by a number of people. Ben Sand was there from Portland Leadership Foundation. Some guy uh, guy was there from the um, uh, or Southern Oregon Evangelical Association mm-hmm. of something. The Young Life, one of the Young Life directors, was there. Huh. Um, well, that's a surprising. number of, of uh, Jewish rabbis, um, Muslims uh, huh. uh, were represented. Uh, yeah, so it's just a whole array of Mormons, a yeah. um, whole array of people who came together, 32 of us, in fact, from around the whole state. And, and sort of for the purpose of saying, what are we doing to help people in this state? And kind of compare notes so that we can uh, be a resource for each other. And what could we do together? And, um, and how could we support each other? And I think that was... Um, Surprising to me that you could get people from so many different um, faith traditions together and uh, and actually um, agree on some stuff, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, in a, in an honest way. Yeah, and I think the it, it started out good questions. The organizers did a great job of uh, organizing and breaking us up into tables and talking about questions. And then the next question, we'd break into another table and switch around. And, and it was actually a pretty great time. Um, but I think about uh, two-thirds of the way through, Edith uh, uh, had uh, one of the organizers, Michael Ellick, had asked us for our critique 
to to make yeah. sure that he he he's friends and trusted our critique and he you know he said if you ever any point you want us to do something different let me know what, how you think it's going and Edith said you know there's too much talking from the head here we need to talk more from our hearts mm. right which is our that's our indigenous you know values mm. is to talk from our heart that's our religion I guess yeah. you'd say that and understanding creation and being honest and and uh uh, and so we went to Michael and then pulled together a couple more and, and they said, okay, well then we're going to make some changes in the way we're going. And it did get, I think more of people speaking from their hearts. Wow. You know? So, so that was really good, right? Because you can, you can talk about all these things sort of in an abstract mm-hmm. way. Americans have an absolute market on this abstract thinking, right? It's <laughs> like you can take any concrete thing, any practice, and then just dwell on talking about it, you know, forever, yeah. right? Because it's abstract. And so, uh, and so, I think you know Edith got literally to the heart of the matter, and uh, and the atmosphere is different after that. So, so I cr- I want to credit my wife for that. Yeah, that's great. And for those of you who are listening, if you didn't listen to episode twenty-seven, uh, Edith sat with you and I a couple weeks ago, and we talked about missing and murdered Indigenous women. So, if you are a new listener, make sure to go back and listen to that. Yeah, and that's a that's a really important issue. Uh, we need a lot more awareness. So, um, and any, I mean, it relates to everything from domestic violence to sex trafficking. Um, so all of those things are related to this. And also um, what we call stereotypes or, or racial, you know, uh, racism from, you know, of uh, basically white men to native women. There's a longstanding, hundreds of years old tradition of this mm-hmm. sort of abuse going on. And so that enters the picture. So it's a very complex uh issue that most people don't know about Mm. yeah so make sure to go back and listen to episode 27 if you missed it so randy um you know that i went down to claremont uh studied here to do my master's then i went down to claremont probably the main thing that i was attracted to at claremont was that they were entering into something called the university project to make it an interfaith seminary Mm. and so that's why i originally wanted to go down there i ended up not doing uh interreligious uh, work but it's what attracted me to go down there i saw a time magazine article uh, about what they wanted to do and it was very exciting to me so I didn't know that. No, that's great. Yeah. So when I got down there, it was fantastic. I mean, I had you know professors who were uh, Jewish, uh, Islamic, uh, even an atheist. Um, <coughs> I know that there were other students there who represented you know Baha'i, uh, Jain, um, Buddhist mm-hmm. that I interacted with in some of my classes. I didn't have professors from that tradition, but it was just a fascinating uh, place to be, and um, just I loved it so much. So that's why it intrigued me when you came back from the coast, and we were talking about what we might want to talk about on future episodes, and you brought up interfaith work, yeah. and I just um, it's something you and I hadn't talked a lot about, so I wanted to just hear your heart and just why that was exciting you. Well, I, yeah, I got exposed to interfaith work um, probably uh, my senior year when I was in grad school, and they they chose, there was a, a class of, uh, of uh, Jewish dialogue that I was invited to be a part of, and so that got me started, and I think that little bit led to an actual part-time job that I was able to get when I was in college in huh. Denver, 
and I work for, you probably don't know about this, I work for um, five interfaith groups. I work for the Denver Rabbinical Council, the Colorado Council of Churches, the Catholic Archdiocese of Denver, the um, uh, Interfaith International, it was a group of several faiths made up, and um, the East Denver Ministerial Alliance, which was the inner city uh, black churches in, mm-hmm. in Denver. And uh, I produced a, a television show um, every week for that group for two and a half years. Yeah. No, I did not know this. Yeah, so That's I had to work with all the leaders and different huh. people and bringing them in. Yeah. Yeah, so it was fun. You know, we live in a time where religion is... This was in the 80s. Okay. <laughs> where religion is, um, you know, often it's boiled down to really one thing, which is Christianity versus Islam. Mm. Like, for a lot of people, that's when they say religion. That's what they mean. Really? Because I think that in the clash of civilizations, as it's been sold to us with our uh, ongoing wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and our cultural clashes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that... um, Yeah, I think for a lot of people, when they talk about religion, they mean... Uh, militant Islam versus fundamentalist Christianity. Okay, because when I think about um, civilization and and religion, I think about um, mostly Native American civilization uh, and then what Western folks call civilization. Yeah, under the Christian civilization yeah. and Christian religion, and uh, that clash, right? Yeah. So um, when I even uh, it, even during this 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 may. Uh, this may lose some viewers, but I just have to break it to you. <laughs> okay. But, but even at 9-11, when 9-11 happened, you know what the Native community was saying? Besides all this terrible, it's a horrible thing to happen. You, but, you know, I must have heard this at least 15 times. Hmm. Now they know what we feel like. Really? Yeah. Huh. Wow. I did, had never heard that. Yeah. That's wow. True. That's... that's. And, and, and so when we think about... Like uh, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, yeah. who do you think Native Americans relate to? Sure. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, that <laughs> the uh, that Joshua narrative of the conquest of Canaan is uh, eerily similar to some of the language and rationale about uh, about the unclaimed territory, the the land of promise, yeah. on the frontiers. Yeah. So. So scary parallels. But if we were somewhere else, it would be you know um, uh, uh, perhaps uh, different. Uh, like it might be a Buddhist in India or, or China. It might uh, be two different religions. It might be Buddhism. It might be um, uh, Sikhism. We just had forty uh, Sikh uh, um, people seeking asylum in the federal prison over here recently, mm. and they were finally, with enough protests, they were let let go because you know asylum seekers, they go to prison now, right? When they come to wait for their asylum, the wow. two to three years, wow. and so unless you protest them out, basically, and, and that's what a group of uh, actually most of the clergy did here. Um, some of them, oh, a number of them from this group we're talking about actually. Yeah. Um, and so it can be helpful to uh, maintain religious freedom. Uh, even if you're not religious, yeah. it can be helpful to have all these people on your side when it comes to religious freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so, so those religious clashes go on. Um, but uh, 
if we can somehow find a way to see the common humanity in all of us, then I think it's easier to work together and work towards. We don't have to all do the same thing, but we, we have some goals that we can work yeah. together. So the year that I came up here to be a professor, you were on sabbatical. And one of the classes that I got to teach was your world religions class. Oh, and so that's one of the reasons that um, I beat out another candidate to get that job as the visiting professor was because of my interreligious background at Claremont. So I really loved um, the the two times that I got to take students through that world religions class because not only was the reading spectacular, but I based the course, the semester, around three experiential um, events. And so I actually had them go to the Islamic Center Mm -hmm. here in Tiger for Friday prayers. Once a month, the Friday prayers are open to non-Muslims. I had them go to the Jewish center for a similar thing, but I just wanted them to experience a Jewish service, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully a Shabbat service, but it, you know, it wasn't too picky. Mm-hmm. And then I also sent them to the Buddhist center for, um, you know, they don't have services per se, but for a time of prayer and meditation up there. And, um, for both of the, the classes that we did, th- that experiential component meant so much to people. And I can't believe how many preconceived notions and stereotypes uh, it dissolved just by going and participating. It was like, man, I really thought it would be like this. It was nothing like that. Yeah. And so that's a really powerful thing to do is to go and to be a part of, especially if you have an invitation, uh, to go and participate with people in their practices and see what that looks like. It's shocking how different it is than any of the propaganda or misinformation that often gets spread. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. keeps us apart. I like to go to the uh, sick services. Yeah? Do you know why? No. Because they feed you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, always great food. That is part, that's part of you're a, you're a very religious man. <laughs> that's right. If, that's if, part of my if, religion. If religion <laughs> involves food. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sort of as a contrast to that, uh, I don't know if you saw, but you since the last time we've recorded <clears throat> There was a big news story mm. about this kid from Washington mm-hmm. who uh, was a missionary to this island of tribesmen mm-hmm. in, the, in the Bay of Bengal, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he got killed. They shot him with arrows, and he got killed. And it has brought something to people's consciousness that they may not have been aware of before, but which you are very aware of, which is that... Evangelical culture or Protestantism, you know, largely, mm-hmm. is fascinated with unreached people groups right. and translating the gospel into uh, languages that it hasn't been preached in before. Yeah. This is an obsession. Absolutely. And the Joshua so, Project, right? Isn't that the the unreached people groups thing? They had yeah, like a, I think so. Seventy something or hundred. Yeah, I mean, we used to when I was evangelical. We used to keep track of it. We actually yeah. subscribed to this giant poster we would put up at the back of our sanctuary every year mm-hmm. about the unreached people groups. Yeah, very, very reminiscent of uh, whether it was the Roman Empire uh, plotting out uh, where they wanted to conquer. Or whether it was England, you know, wanting to spread its, you know, Britishness all over the whole world. Or, you know, probably Napoleon had a map like that as well. 
Um, and so um, I make the analogy not not just because it's entertaining, but I make the analogy because there is a lot of truth to the understanding of what empire is yeah. and the kind of thing you just described. So the I totally agree, and obviously, you know, just to show all my cards. Um, I was ordained with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So the missionary was our middle name. Mm -hmm. And so I am well-versed in in that line of reasoning, that same motivation that compelled that young man to go over there. I used to be a part of that very movement. Yeah, well, same same with me. Okay, so I'm well-versed in it. So I I do want to show some sympathy because when you are a part of a movement like that, I mean, this is something that really inspires a zealousness and a passion. I mean, it's really stoked. Yeah. Uh, and, and we should, I think it's, it's appropriate to first say, um, that, that it, to, to recognize the tragedy of a young man dying, first of all, and to recognize the, the sadness and the tragedy to his family and friends and everybody who's experiencing their loss. And so, you know, I give my condolences to them. Mm. This is in no way meant to dehumanize him in any way. Uh, but I think it is a perhaps a teaching moment mm. that we can um, look and learn from this. And that that can be also part of the sacrifice and part of his contribution is mm-hmm. to, for us to be able to learn from the situation. That's good. That's a good caution. For people who are not a part of that world where things like translating the gospel into other languages or keeping track of unreached people groups, if that's not something you're familiar with, you know, when this news story popped up, I had a lot of people say, like, what the hell is that? Yeah, what's he doing over there? Yeah, I mean, like, it was just a totally alien concept. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not a part of this subculture, it may seem really bizarre to you Mm -hmm. to be so compelled to go to a people group that you're not a part of, you have no connection with, and to just give up your life, your culture, to learn their language, to give up your comforts and your career here to go because you are so compelled to convert them right. to Christianity. And there was, if, if you recall, uh, because every good evangelical knows the stories of Jim Elliott and sure. Nathan Saint, is it Nathan po- Saint? Point of, the, point of the Spear? Point of the Spear. Tip of the Spear. Yeah, point of the Spear, I think. Was oh, okay. Well. Yeah. yeah t- t- tip of the Spear is a military thing. <laughs> oh, right, so, right. So again, there's the analogy. But, uh, so, um, you know, they they died, I think, at the hands of the Aka Indians in somewhere in Central America, South America. Okay. And uh, they I, I supposedly only, only had gotten off their plane and they weren't even on the ground, but just like maybe like 15, 20 minutes or something, and, and they were killed with spears. And um, and then there's a story about how his sister uh, goes there, and then uh, I've met his son, Steve Sane. Really? He, he I think a movie there. was made about this yeah, a couple that, years that's ago. that's it. That's okay. the end of the okay. spear movie. Okay. And, uh, and so um, it's meant to um, inspire people to do exactly what this mm-hmm. young man did. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if we're not, if we don't have the right critique, if we don't have a critique that's helpful from all sides to help everybody, that sort of movement could happen again with this, this mm-hmm. thing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so what we want to do is, is be kind to the intentions, uh, be sad about the loss, but also be able to, to offer a good critique on, uh, you know, there, maybe there's another way to do some of these things. Uh, well, that's why I wanted to... If they should even be done. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that. But this is why I wanted to pair it with interfaith. 
So one of the things that it seems to me is that interfaith acknowledges the dignity of the other tradition. There's a mutuality of learning and participation, and you're not trying to convert the other person to your uh, religion. Unless that's the unless that's the sort of relationship you set up from the beginning. Hey, let's get together and let's talk and try to convert each other, <laughs> right? Otherwise, but I think I it's, so. it's how you set this discussion yeah. up and this dialogue and and hopefully friendship up uh, that that sets the rules for how to engage, right? And I don't think he had any sort of a right. cultural guide or anything like no. that that would help him to to be no. able to do that. And I think that's my concern is that this is old school. Excuse me. Hold on. This is old school colonial missions that the one with all of the answers comes in as an alien force to intervene, right? Not in a mutuality of learning, but in a a mission of conversion. Yeah. And so that's the... Which presupposes that one party has all the truth and the other party has no truth. Right. Or that the people group that you're going to doesn't already know God. Exactly. And, and have a relationship with the God. Exactly. So it's obviously a concerning story, and, and I've talked to a lot of different groups about it. I mean, for instance, you know, I'm at this liberal progressive church where we don't do missions, we do service, mm-hmm. right? So we don't even believe in evangelism because we think that trying to convert, that proselytizing is violence. I've heard this so many times in my liberal mm-hmm. uh, church. Um, so, so what I did, I think you'll like this story is, uh, our final Sunday school class of the semester, I gave them a pop quiz and asked them to name for me the things that are, would, uh, be associated with the end times. So like what, what will be the events that we'll look for to anticipate the end times? And they got a lot of them. They got, you know, wars and rumors of wars, e- ecological disaster, the antichrist, right? The, the, the economic system that you can't sell unless you have the market beast. They got all of that stuff. They missed one really important one, and I knew they would miss it. And it was Matthew 24, where Jesus says, and this gospel will be preached to every tongue or tribe, and then the end will come. And I knew they wouldn't get that one, so they didn't. And so when uh, I you know, showed them that in the Bible, they were like, yeah, we've we never seen this before. And it, it led us into a really good discussion about the you know, understanding of passages like that, that the gospel has to be, yeah. yeah. But there's another way to understand that, right? I mean, I don't understand that as in times. I understand this is Jesus saying, you know, life is going to go on like it does, right? We're going to keep preaching the good news. All these things are going to happen. Volcanoes and earthquakes and, you know, uh, wars and rumors of wars. And, you know, life is going to go on as life does. I've never heard that <laughs> because, yeah, in that in that uh, mentality that that propels people into colonial missions, there is a definite expectation of the end, and so to bring about yeah, that, the, that, that's a sort of that utopian vision, right? Yeah, I mean, and utopianism is used to basically, uh, you know, squash out anything that doesn't fit into its vision. And so utopian, uh, uh, this utopianism, whether it's getting back to a way that was or whether it's, you know, looking for something in the future, they both will justify the means to their end. 
And that is the history of humanity. I mean, anytime we have a utopian yeah. vision, they, that's what they do. Christianity is probably the worst offender of, of, uh, of many. This is why I wanted to bring it up to yeah. you, yeah. is because when you have that utopian expectation, or some people might call it a messianic vision for the world, it's a totalizing vision that allows you to justify treating people who either aren't like you or won't convert to be like you, yeah. treating them terribly. Even in ways that are against your own religion. Because yeah, you don't have the secret stuff that I... You yeah. don't have the right answers that I have, right? And that you can justify it because there's an urgency that says something's on the line here. Mm-hmm. You don't. I can't just allow you to be the way I found you. You either need to get on board or you need to go away. Mm-hmm. But you can't, right? And there's, so there's an urgency that comes with this sort of messianic or utopian vision right and it's so it's why when i read that news story but my very first thing is this is the thing that makes me so nervous right it there's an anxiety in me i think because uh it's part of my past and i realize how much i have either promoted this mentality or participated in it and so it it really touches a nerve with me at, but like in a white guilt sort of way. Mm. And so, uh, but the very first thing I thought of is like, I wonder what Randy thinks of this news story because, you know, with uh, so many folks that you hang out with and that you get to participate with, they've been on the receiving end. Right. Well, the first thing I thought was this is really sad, right? Mm. I mean, this here's a, a guy from all reports that I've looked at, and I haven't looked deeply into that, but I've read a couple of online things. He was a very a committed, mm-hmm. very intelligent, very hardworking, um, a lot of passion, a lot of drive for what he was doing, and, and, and the world probably lost something great mm. when he died. Wow. Um, and, and as a young person, he's probably not at the point in his life where... You know, he was able to see things from all these different viewpoints, right? Mm. And so he was probably doing what he believed. Mm. He was he was doing it with all his mind, all his passion. But you can do that, and, and that energy can be spent in possibly the wrong direction. And yeah. so, uh, so I thought, well, this is really sad. And I thought this is oh. very sad for his parents. I know, you know, I'm a parent of uh, similar age children, mm. and... Uh, I can't imagine the grief that you go through, and uh, and then I wanted to investigate. Well, what what was really going on here? And I think the first thing I thought after that, when I began to investigate, was here's an isolated tribe. Does he not even? I guess he hasn't studied uh, the mission history of Native Americans because he would know if they did that. That basically the Europeans, people from the outside, brought all kinds of diseases. Which almost completely wiped us out, right? Yeah. And so uh, that would have been my first concern was, you know, mm. was, you know, am I going to be the carrier of their death? Um, and so, you know, I thought, you know, if you haven't thought through that, then maybe there's a lot of other things you haven't thought through. Yeah. And so, uh, so I just, you know, I don't chalk anything, I don't, you know, chalk this up to anything but, you know, sort of a lack of exposure to mm. a lot of more perspective. And yeah. I, and I feel bad for him. Yeah. Mm. I've been reading a lot of different perspectives. 
um, of people um, who either come from this type of a tradition and have moved away from it or people who are still in it and are defending this type of a thing. But also the ones that have intrigued me the most are people who have no frame of reference for it and are trying to figure out like, wait a minute, is this a thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's a real thing. Yeah. No, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm not, and, and there's another side to this. And that is that, you know, whoever you are and whatever your religion is, um, if you treat other people with respect and you earn the right to share through your friendships or whatever, what your beliefs are, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I want to hear more about Buddhists. I want to hear more about Muslims. I want to hear more about Sikhism. I want to know more about those. Not that I'm particularly interested in converting, but maybe they can broaden my own outlook, mm. my own intelligence, my own spiritual life. And, uh, you know, we used to um, have an old elder, an Indian elder, who used to say, you know, all the time, whenever you see somebody praying, you know, go over there and pray with them. Wow. Because there's, there's only one creator. Huh. And so, you know, don't be afraid, whatever they are, you know, just, just go pray with them. And I, I kind of look at it that way and... Uh, so, so I'm happy to, uh, to be able to hear and exchange ideas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but we shouldn't feel like we automatically have a right to do that in yes. other people's lives. Yes. Right? To treat them. That's objectifying them. Huh. Yeah. Well, listeners, we want to thank you and we would love to hear your feedback on this uh, topic of both interfaith and things that you're seeing maybe work in your community or in your own experience and, and your tradition. And also, just as we talk about this legacy of colonial missions, you know, what's your perspective on that? We would love to hear some feedback. We want you to know that we have a Zoom coming up December 8th, Saturday morning, for our Patreon supporters. And so we want to thank those of you who are supporting us on Patreon. Please look in the show notes for that link. Um, we're almost done paying off our initial investment money. And so we want to thank those of you who have helped us close out that debt. We're really enjoying doing this, um, so we appreciate your partnership in that. And we also want you to know that we're going to add a, a reward for our Patreon supporters, which is that every time we get together to record, we're going to take time at the end to answer your questions uh, on a video that we'll post uh, through Patreon, and you'll have access to that um, other folks won't, but that you'll be able to send in questions for us and we'll give you uh, replies. And that way it's not out there for everybody to see, but it's more of a private conversation. Yeah. And we've got another program going. Um, if you hear a particular secret word during our, our broadcast, uh, then you call you the third caller today. We can, no, I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you, Bo. But if we were going to do that, today's word would have been, are you ready for this? Fetishism. <laughs> Fetishism. If you ever hear Bo say that again, call, call and let us know. Uh, if you think that there is somebody who it would benefit to hear this, please share it with them. We are enjoying uh, being in dialogue and increasing our bandwidth and reaching people who otherwise we wouldn't have uh, connected with. So thank you for sharing this. Yeah, and... You know, we're actually starting to hear back from people about how they like our program and how they like the subjects we talk about and how they like the interaction. And I'm like, 
Holy crap. I thought it was just us who was enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Well, listeners, thank you very much, and we uh, will look forward to engaging with you. We are going to record another episode here about uh, the power of story. It's a theme that we return to often, and about the powers that be. And then uh, on the 8th, if you want to be a part of that, go ahead and support us on Patreon, and we will send you an invitation uh, to link in on Saturday morning for the Zoom session live recording. We appreciate your patronage and your support so much. Um, we've had some great questions, and uh, we're going to be able to start uh, answering some of those questions, uh, hopefully, uh, here during the uh, podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.